The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Support for No Excuses with John Taffer comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive buying power process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Well, here it is, December 17th, one week from Christmas, and this is my No Excuses podcast with John Taffer. I'm pretty excited about this week, Corey. I got to tell you, buddy, uh, uh, I love having a guest like Todd Gardner. Most people have never heard of Todd Gardner, but yet all of you have been touched by Todd Gardner. Fact of the matter is he's made so many movies, about 170. Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, Paul Blart, Mall Cop, Anger Management, Daddy Daycare, Father of the Bride, The Waterboy, Deuce Bigelow, to just name a few. He's the producer of all of these films, and Todd Garner is with me today, and it's going to be a great interview. I'm so excited to learn about how he got where he is and what he's done. We also got great listener call-ins, and before I get going, I just want to remind everybody, hit podcast at Apple Podcast, or go to podcastone.com, or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes automatically every Tuesday. Well, I got to start by wishing everybody a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holiday Season. And I hope everybody is getting ready for a really, really great new year. You know, before I get going, the stock market has been taking a hit. And people are starting to voice bad things about the economy. And they're worried that we're going to get into a recession. And they're worried and worried and worried and worried. And, you know, for years, I've heard that we're going to go back into a recession. And, you know, I just want to suggest to everybody that we can worry ourselves to death. And we can worry to the point that we don't make investments and we don't move our lives forward. I want to remind everybody that unemployment is low. Consumer confidence is pretty darn high. Uh, Holiday season is going very, very well in retail. This is a great time right now for those who needed jobs, for those who wanted to buy gifts for income. So we're starting the new year in a pretty darn good place. And I think if we all just stay focused on the bright part of our future and not be fearful 
about what may or may not happen, we can keep this positive energy going. You know, here's a great example of it, Corey. Listen to this. Uh, I'm sorry, 112.5 million holiday travelers are going to go into skies, roads, and rails. One out of three Americans are traveling this holiday season. And that's the biggest number yet. And a lot of it is just because the economy is good. People have the money to, to travel. And when we take a look at it, you know, a couple of things interesting. More than 102 million people hit the road between December 22nd and January 1st. That's a lot of freaking people. Gas prices are low, but it's 4.4% over last year's traffic. Think about that. 4.4% of families are going to see each other that didn't last year. More than 6.7 million Americans are going to fly. Rental car costs are going to rise. Hotel costs are going up. And, of course, the busiest days in the airport are the 22nd, 23rd, and Wednesday the day after Christmas on the 26th. So it's going to be a record-breaking and probably extremely frustrating travel period. And I was looking online, and somebody in the New York Times, a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Morrison, wrote an article, Five Strategies for Stress-Free Travel. One, pack less. Well, okay, I'll buy into that. If you can do a carry-on today and not check it, uh, uh, that's, that's a big deal. It'll save you a lot of time in the airport uh, and a lot of schlepping around. Two, I'm not sure I buy into this one. Plan less. He suggests that if you don't plan anything, then when it screws up, you have nothing to be frustrated about, Corey, right? Just thinking about that's frustrating. Yeah, I would think that, right, because you have no freaking plan. So I'm not sure I buy into that. This one is a good one, though. Slow down. Now, you ever see those people in the airport, they're like running to the gate, but their flight isn't for an hour and a half. They just can't slow to freak down. So sometimes I think we just need to take a deep breath and understand we're not going to change anything. Keep your phone working. This is a biggie. Can you imagine you're at the airport, Corey? Your flight is delayed. You can't get a hotel room and your phone goes freaking dead. I can't even go one day without my phone, let alone traveling, you know? That's what I'm saying. That would be the worst of all. And then here's a really good suggestion. Install the right apps before you go. So put in some booking apps in case you need to to, uh, change your flight. Put in some hotel apps in case you need a hotel room really quickly if you get stuck in another city changing flights, et cetera. There's another one called Gate Guru that will tell you where you can get snacks in airports and stuff. So get yourself together because it is going to be a frustrating holiday for sure. So, Corey, you're a little younger than I. You don't remember the moon landing. No, I Definitely wasn't born yet, I think. Nope, you weren't. And, you know, the, the, the movie First Man came out this year, right, about yeah, Neil Armstrong's first walk on the moon, which, by the way, is a great movie, I thought. And, you know, I find it interesting that with, with all of our enemies in the world and all of the naysayers in the world, Stephen Curry, the NBA star, suddenly comes out and says, the moon landings were faked. Now, I find it ridiculous for a couple of reasons. One. You can actually take a high-powered telescope and see the tracks of the moon rover on the moon. And if you look online, you can see those. You can actually see the feet of the lens, the base of the lens still on the moon. So believe me, if we fake the moon landing, don't you think the Russians would have busted us? Oh, yeah. So, guys, when people read things like that, it's just a conspiracy theory that makes absolutely no sense. The fact of the matter is there's debris up in the moon from when we landed there. And we even have the, the uh, 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 geological proof in moon rocks and stuff. So when people say things like that, they're really just saying, hey, guess what? I'm an idiot. <laughs> or the, the earth is flat. The earth is flat, yes. Uh, uh, or, or, uh, or, yes, the apocalypse is coming. So 
uh, 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 Mr. Curry, I'm guessing you're going to get a little embarrassment out of this. No, but I think I did see he tweeted back and he said, well, hey, NASA, I'm clearly just kidding. So, Oh, so he sort of backed off on it yeah, then. so he realized real quick. Well, it's funny. The first one didn't sound like he was kidding. So he <laughs> says something. Mr. Curry says something, realizes I just made an idiot of myself. Yeah. So he tries to turn it into a joke. Well, you know who the joke was on, Corey? The joke was on him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the joke was on. Okay, here's a great one. I have traveled on Route 17 in East Rutherford, New Jersey for many, many years. And it's a very busy thoroughfare just across the river from New York. And it's amazing thoroughfare, uh, 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 particularly for rush hour in the afternoon to and from Manhattan from Jersey. So last week, this is a pretty cool story, a armored truck sent 100 bills flying in the air out the back door. So... I believe it was thousands of $100 bills fly out on Route 3 near Route 17 in East Rutherford, and everybody starts jamming on their brakes, jumping out of their cars to grab this money. There's two car accidents. People are screaming and yelling at each other, and it's almost like an old movie where the money gets broken out of the briefcase, and everybody goes to kill each other and scurries for the money. Oh, I'd be all over that freeway. So now by the time the police get there, the doors are open in the armored car, and of course, all the money's freaking gone, right? Because everybody's picked up the money. So the next day, the New Jersey Police Department urged people who grabbed the banknotes that spilled out of the back of an armored truck to return them. And they suggested that it is, believe it or not, let me find the legal term here, it's illegal possession of misplaced merchandise. Okay, so (laughs) what the hell is lost and found then? Right. So if you lose a $100 bill, and I find that $100 bill on the streets in Rutherford, New Jersey, is that your $100 bill or my $100 bill? I was always taught finders keepers. Yes. And so if, in fact, the New Jersey police are correct, then every lost and found in America is illegal. Right. Because you cannot have what was given to you inappropriately, according to the New Jersey police. So I found that pretty interesting. But I must say, it would be pretty incredible to be driving along Route 3 and see thousands of $100 bills flying in the air. Would you stop your car? Oh, most definitely. I was actually talking to one of my friends about this because there's some videos online of people just running through the freeway, just grabbing money and taking off. Yeah. I wonder how much they got. Did they get thousands, some of the people? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, just grab 10 of them. You got 1000 bucks right there. <laughs> Pretty incredible. So I like this one. Vladimir Putin says Russia must control degrading rap music. Hmm. So I find it interesting. Now, Putin all these years later, has decided that he wants to control the popularity of rap music so that it doesn't lead to the degradation of the nation. <laughs> so I find that interesting because rap music has been around for so long. And then when I read further into the article, it says that he won't ban it because he thinks there'll be a revolt if he bans it. Oh, yeah. So my guess is containing it is not going to be so easy for him. But Russia had, I think, one of the most embarrassing weeks of all time this week. Did you see the robot thing on TV? No. So Russia's state television runs a television show with Russia's state-of-the-art robot. Now, if you haven't looked at this online, you've got to look. So it's a white plastic robot, and it's got the helmet with, you know, the head with the blinking eyes and the arms, and it looks like a freaking robot. But if you look carefully, you can see hair coming out at the back of the neck 
because yeah. it's a person inside the freaking costume. Yeah. So then they're, they're standing there with people that are dancing and a robot's dancing in the middle of them. But when a robot's arms go up at the same time, they don't move the same way. So you can see it has these human aspects to it, and things don't stay still. Then about an hour after the television show, some photographer grabbed a photograph of the robot with its helmet off, and it's a guy in a freaking costume. So the Russian government completely lied to its people and put this robot on state television. They have no freaking robot. Russia would be better off sending that guy down to the strip to collect some some tips and take pictures with people because i agree we have the transformers yeah, down there we got Mick. so that's what this guy was like the robots that stand on the las vegas strip and take pictures yeah. for a dollar unbelievable scam uh, uh uh and it's incredible to me that that uh uh they will get away with that but you know why they get away with it because they don't let people not let them get away with it so i wonder if the only real robot in russia isn't putin himself that's a very valid theory. I think the man has about as much personality as a robot from what I can see. I'm going to leave you with that thought. We'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. It has a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. I'll tell you, the best parts of the Robinhood app is there's no commission fees at all. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. It's designed really well, and it's incredibly easy to use. It has easy-to-understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And the Robinhood platform also lets you view stock collections, a 100 of the most popular sectors like entertainment, social media, and curated categories like female CEOs, and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every single stock. And you learn by doing. You learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You discover new stocks and trade favorite companies with personalized news feeds that keep you informed about your investments. And with custom notifications for price movements, you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Yes, a free stock. So sign up now at taffer.robinhood.com. That's taffer.robinhood.com. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. How about the luxury package you got after a big promotion? Or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer? While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions like navigation or moonroof and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today.
True cash offer not available in all areas. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. You know, it, it's, it's amazing when you think about all the hours of my life that I've spent watching my next guests work. You know, Todd Garner started uh, as a film producer, then started working for Disney, but have seen so many movies that we all know so well. Even Paul Blart, one of my favorite scenes ever, Todd, was when he went through that glass window. <laughs> one of the funniest moments in any film, actually. I love that scene. But Todd Garner is with me, a, a great past Disney executive, Revolution Studio executive. And I don't want to make you, you blush, and I'm sure you don't blush too easily, but... Uh, uh, Todd has been involved in Paul Blart Mall Cop, Zookeeper, Pearl Harbor, Father of the Bride, The Waterboy, Con Air, Deuce Bigelow, Black Hawk Down, Daddy Daycare, and roughly, I don't know, what, another hundred or so movies that you've been involved in, Todd? <laughs> that is true. That is true. All those uh, I, I worked on in one capacity or in the other. So you know what's amazing to me is not only the amount of work that you do, and I've made you know a, a piddly two hundred and three television shows in my life, <laughs> and you know when I look at the body of work that you've achieved in your life, uh, uh, I got to ask: Have you always had this incredible work ethic since you were young? Yeah, uh, for sure. I grew up in San Fernando um, in you know very lower middle class family. My dad uh, was the first person in kind of my entire lineage to go to college. So the expectation was that I was going to, you know, keep up that work ethic. And so, so I've been really kind of working since I was 13. I started like working in swap meets, selling bike parts to get my next bike and then my motorcycle and then my car. So it's always just been, you know, one job right after the other. So you're a little handy. Uh, I'm trying. trying. So, so everybody you know, at some point in their life, looks at a movie and says, "Wow, I'd love to be a film producer, a producer." And they picture the chair with his name on the back and the old megaphone, right? And the whole image of producing a movie and the extras running around set and the glamour of it. At what point in your life did you know that you wanted to be in the film business? How young? Well, probably was probably high school. I started off. Uh, uh, wanting to be an architect, actually, I'm really into architecture. And but the problem was in high school, the first class you have to take when you're an architect is drafting, which I found to be incredibly, incredibly boring. And a friend of mine said, "Hey, I'm taking this class called improv, uh, which is amazing. You should check it out." And I walked into that theater and saw everybody doing improv exercises and just completely fell in love with it and and was completely inspired by. Uh, this uh, teacher named Mrs. Peterson, who just kind of saw something in me. And, you know, at first I thought, well, maybe I'll be an actor. And then I quickly realized, you know, it takes a special skill to do what you do to be in front of the camera. Uh, Thank you for that. You know, it's interesting is when you were talking about that uh, uh, and thinking, excuse me, about uh, that aspect of your life, I couldn't help but picture, you know, my early days in television when people said, you'll never achieve that, you'll never be in that business. So you went into this, not with a passion for the industry yet, you were just still seeking out what you'd like in life. Yeah, I mean, I realized pretty quickly I wanted to tell stories. I mean, I made a lot of little movies and things when I was a kid, nothing too serious. It was really once I got into play production and we started doing these um, skit shows, kind of like a PG version of uh, Saturday Night Live that I started writing and producing and directing those that I completely fell in love with it and thought, well, this is something I definitely want to do for the rest of my career. 
Wow. So, so, uh, uh, did, so now you're, you're in high school. You're playing around with filmmaking. Uh, uh, I'm guessing you're showing them to your friends and your family. And was your family supportive of a film career, or did they sort of have the attitude that that wasn't a real job, that that was more of a fantasy? Hundred percent. My my dad, my dad was in politics. He was in public relations, and he, you know, he was a you know he went to, he went to Occidental College. I went to Occidental College, and. Um, it was a big stretch for our family to to have me go there. And so uh, getting a degree in art, which is what the degree was, was not my dad's uh, idea of what I was going to do for four years. So in my junior year, he was like, look, if this film thing does not work out, what are you going to do? You, you got to have something to fall back on. You can't even paint. You're not really an artist. And so I, I picked up an economics degree and I finished that in two years. And then he felt a little bit more comfortable that I wasn't just going to end up you know, painting on the side of the highway. And, and so, um, and then I was going to go to Stanford Business School. I actually worked at a bank for a minute because I thought, well, I'll go to business school because if I want to be a, in the business of the film business, I got to learn business. And so I went through an extensive training program at Wells Fargo Bank thinking I would go to business school. And I actually never made it to business school because I, um, my father, of all people, uh, talked to a guy who was at Paramount Television and thought, wow, you know, there's this kid who has this whole film background. I, I had been an editor, I interned at an editing facility for a while. And so I got a job at Paramount Television that I was actually worked on the Arsenio Hall show as a, as an accountant on that show. Wow. So at, least, at least he felt like I was doing something that had math in it, which made him feel a little bit more comfortable. Right, because you were in a structured world with pieces of paper in front of you. Exactly. So what was your first creative job? So now you started uh, uh, for Paramount Television, which is my world. You know, I'm on Paramount Network. And you started in an accounting role, which is sort yeah. of like a line producer, I guess. you. I don't yeah. know if you call that in film. But so you're tracking all the expenses. You're doing all the reports. You're keeping all the producers informed on the numbers and keeping everybody on budget, I imagine. Yeah. And, and probably not the most exciting job on the set. Well, I will say, uh, actually quite the contrary, because it was – Arsenio Hall's first year. So every Friday night, he had the dog pound. Bill Clinton would come play, you know, the saxophone. Eddie was coming on. So I was like this kid from the Valley and working on this show. I couldn't believe how many celebrities were there. And I, you know, although I was, you know, doing a lot of spreadsheets and pretty boring accounting, it was really fun to be on the set. That's really where I got my bug to be physically on the ground producing something because I saw how, you know, once you see how the souffle is made, you can't you can't help but want to do it. Oh, yeah. And it's so exciting to be there. I totally get what you're saying. So now you're in the accounting business side. And did you did you have a, a desire to shift to the creative side of the business to production? Was your plan predetermined or were you just uh, taking the flow? I was going with the flow for a while. I actually started off as an editor. Um, I was editing music videos and commercials, and then I and then I did that for four years before I got the job at the bank. Uh, pretty much an internship while I was going to college, and then and then when I was at Paramount and I was on the lot, I really got to see what everybody did. I got to see what the producers did. I got to see what the executives did, and it really gave me the bug to want to be in the film side of the business. And so I I took a uh, class at UCLA Extension. Actually, from Bob Greenblatt, who was just cool. up until recently the chairman of NBC Studios. <laughs> he was a story editor yep. back then. And he taught me how to read scripts and taught me how to develop scripts. And so I really got the bug to be a studio executive. So 
Uh, after some inquiry, he found out that the, really the best way to do that is to become an assistant, you know, a, a secretary to one of the people who did the job. And then I got a job at Columbia Pictures as an assistant after my 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 you know studying it with UCLA Extension. So you kept learning. The fact of the matter is, you kept learning your craft. So at this point, you're passionate about it. You want to learn everything there is, and you're in. Yeah, and I still do to this day. I mean, that's really honestly part of the reason of doing my podcast was to learn from other people that did my job and and other jobs similar to mine. Because I just I love learning, and 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 as you know, our business is changing so rapidly uh, that if you don't keep up, you can definitely be left by the wayside. And so yeah, so. Being at UCLA Extension was just a logical extension of my uh, my career, you know, my um, education at Occidental College. Yeah, you know what, what Todd is talking about, and it's a fascinating time in the entertainment industry because if you create great content today, there are so many places you can sell it from Amazon to Netflix to Hulu to film studios to television networks, cable networks, online services. So today, if you have great content, it's pretty easy to find a home for it. But then again, monetizing great content isn't so easy today. What do you think makes the industry more challenging compared to years ago? Well, years ago, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's like the haves and the have-nots. Years ago, it was the ever you know there were three networks, yep. and there was you know four movie studios, and there was not a lot of content being made. And if you wanted to, to um, consume content, you had two choices: you either you know showed up for appointment television, which meant you had to watch a show at a particular uh, time at, at their discretion, or yep. you saw a movie and, and you would go to the theater, or you wouldn't be able to see it for three to six months. And so you're, you're as a consumer, you're, um, you're, you know, you had limits to how you could consume this content. And so as a producer of that content, you really had a kind of a, a you know, wide net to capture the, those eyeballs. And so with the proliferation of home video and cable TV and free TV and, you know, cable subscription service just starting, it really was kind of like a gold rush back then, especially in the home video market with uh, VHS and then ultimately DVD. And so, you know, as a, as a producer, you could really make a lot of money with, with, you know, one or two movies and or television shows. And today, because they're, you know, the way to consume content, content is so ubiquitous, it really is a buyer's market to coin the phrase. And so you, if you're a, if you're a producer of that content, it's really much harder to just make a big score because, there's so much that the consumer can enjoy for so little cost. Boy, it, it, it's so true. You know, and my show has been so so difficult for me, Todd. I've now shot 189 episodes of Bar Rescue. You know, for me, I'm the story producer in real time. Yeah. And, you know, nothing is scripted, nothing is set up, and it's just following the story. So I get that, you know, my my job is sort of easier than yours because I get to follow the energy in the story in real time. You have to dream it up ahead of time and hope that it works. I and think I, I'm a huge fan of your show. I think you're selling yourself short. I mean, the what you do as an improviser and coming up with uh, the new concept for those restaurants and also just interacting and creating stories on the fly is a special gift. I have to say, as someone who's seen almost every episode of your show, the person I would least like to be in the world is the son of somebody that has put their <laughs> put their retirement into a restaurant that's not doing a good job. I, to this day, I wonder, have these people never seen your show? If you're that son, you should run, not stand there, because you're getting it with both barrels. 
Isn't it incredible that they <laughs> that they know there's a good chance that I'm coming? Now, they don't know I'm coming because I come a day early. Todd, I have a trick that I do. You'll get a kick out of this as a producer. I'll hang extra lights in the bar and restaurant. So I'll have my crew start tearing them down, and they'll say, no, he's not coming. He went to a different location. And they'll tear some of the lighting down. Now the drinks come out, the hair comes down, and they start acting real. Perfect. But uh, I appreciate you saying that, but still – you know, I look at, the, at at what you've accomplished in, in story creation and, and execution of story, and I'm just shocked by it. When did you become such a good storyteller? Do you think it's a skill or do you think it's more of a talent? It's 100% a learned skill. I mean, pretty much everybody that does this for a living has to really study. You have to love story, but you have to understand story and how stories are told. I'm I'm such a huge, huge, going back to the continuing to learn, you know, you have to watch a lot of stories unfold, either reading them, watching them on television or watching them in movies or both or all three to really understand how a story is structured. There there really is a science to it. Um, And if you don't subscribe to that science, that's why, you know, sometimes people can just have an intellectual experience at at a movie or a television show rather than an emotional response. When you understand the structure of a story and understand how to weave a story that makes sense and, and move the way that people are used to stories unfolding, then you can really get to the emotional underpinning of it and really move people, which is all I really do for a living is move people one way or another. If it's a scary thing I'm done, hopefully it scares people. It's funny. Hopefully it makes people laugh. If it's a, you know, if it's a love story, hopefully you feel that love between the characters and the only way to do that is to let people settle in and not wonder what the hell's going on and, and you know, why are the characters acting that way or how, how is the story unfolding? And if you allow people to just relax and feel comfortable, you'll, you'll get a much better reaction out of people. You know, it's interesting. When I started Bar Rescue, I, I didn't understand what you, what you just said. So I would go do scenes and, 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 you know, piecing it all together was much more difficult. Now understanding what you know, and you're going to smile when I tell you this, you know, even my little TV show is completely Shakespearean. Yeah. Pers- person in trouble resists change, redeems themselves, you know, hopefully a happy ending. It's extremely Shakespearean. And if it isn't a person in trouble, it doesn't work. If they don't redeem themselves, exactly. it doesn't work. You know, if they don't resist the transformation, it doesn't work. And it's fascinating when I learned really the structure of story and how to work that through was when it became a successful and I really understood the show. And that's when I got really good at it. What you just said fascinated me, Todd, and I really want our listeners to know this. You believe that script writing and storytelling is an acquired skill more than a talent, which means if anybody wants to study story structure, writing, uh, do the research into the human, uh, 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 you know, the human experience, if you will, almost anyone can write a great script if they yeah. really understand storytelling. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good to, you have to understand storytelling for sure. You have to study it. You have to um, really be authentic to yourself and to your own voice and to your own history and to what moves you as a person rather than trying to, you know, to try to be someone else or say, oh, oh, the, uh, you know, the superhero genre is big. So I'm going to make a superhero thing. If that's not your thing, you have to be authentic to your own voice and then not be afraid to fail because you're going to fail a lot. And it's, you're not just going to all of a sudden wake up, write the perfect screenplay, send it out, have it sold and get it made. You're probably going to write, you know, 10 or 11 things before you master the craft and you have to be able to accept rejection, to not be 
uh, worried by the rejection to, to, to persevere and to, you know, continually honing and honing to, like you said, you didn't understand it at first. So you finally understand not only the structure, not only the science of how to move people or how, you know, you can have the push pull of a character's inner uh, conflict and, you know, their outer dreams, but then find your own voice and kind of lay all that in there. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to either you're going to love or you're going to hate this question. I would never ask you who your favorite movie is, but I'd love to know what characters really that you thought were incredible in the films and the work that we've experienced in our lives. Are there any that come to mind that are just really special characters in the way they were created or the way they changed or grew or evolved? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody, you know, has their own personal favorites. But for me, being a being of my generation, the characters that obviously had the biggest impact on my life were, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker, uh, Indiana Jones, oh, yeah. uh, E.T. <laughs> like those, the Godfather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Godfather, you know, Michael Corleone, you know, when those, when you, when you experience movies like that for the first time, it, it hits you in such a rocky Balboa. It hits you in such a visceral way that you see yourself. I remember wanting to buy a fedora and a whip, but not really understanding how I was going to do that in high school, but thought, you know, I just felt so much that I wanted to be that hero. And, you know, and that's why you see so many kids today doing cosplay, you know, carrying lightsabers or, you know, you know, now, you know, we're into this, the whole Creed part of that franchise because yep. people just, you know, I guarantee you most people have run at one point or another humming the Rocky thing. It's just, it's just when that happens and you become like a character that gets into the zeitgeist like that, it's, it's pretty incredible. I got to tell you, there are a few things that motivate me more than that theme or energize me. So it has an emotional reaction on us all. You said something that was great earlier, and I always say it a different way. You were talking about how really everything that you do causes people to connect with the character, love the character, hate the character, root for the character, root against the character. I use the term, and I actually own this term, reaction management. Mm -hmm. So tell me if you agree with this. I believe that you don't make movies and I don't make TV shows. We create human reactions and we achieve it through that product. 100%. I mean, if you're not, again... If if you just went in and and had an in, uh, in your show specifically went in and just intellectually tried to explain to the person while their business is failing, if you pulled out a spreadsheet and said, "Well, here's the problem: is your inventory is not matching your sales, or you're having this much, uh, you know, you're wasting this much uh, alcohol, you're overpouring," and it was just like a completely intellectual experience, people wouldn't tune in. But the fact of the matter is you go in there guns blazing, you tear them down, you 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 hit them in their gut level of that their parents are going to lose their savings or the person investing in the bar is going to go bankrupt in a week and a half. And you you know you're very good at pulling out all the emotions of all the all the you know the other characters in in the in the bar in the in the place of business. And and that's what's great is you pull out. And so we as the audience can kind of put ourselves in that position like holy crap, what would I do? If I was in that situation, in any of those situations, and when you can do that, then you then you have a journey that people want to go on with you. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is this the, the last Avengers, they killed half of the half of their cast. And the only way they could do that was have all of those stories. People knew those characters and felt for those characters. So you were just waiting, which one is gonna perish? Right. And everybody was so had such a rooting interest. And so yeah, so for me. You know, even if it's like, you know, between Paul Blart or Black Hawk Down, you know, you're rooting for those guys to succeed, you know, one to not be killed in a, in a horrible war situation. And the other one to stop a bunch of bad guys from uh, taking over the mall. Now, you could not have mentioned two movies that are more 
unalike than those two. <laughs> Which is incredible. So let's talk for a moment. When you were younger, you used to do Saturday Night Live things and do comedy bits and stuff. Yeah. And when I look at your career, you've made a lot of movies, a lot of comedy movies. Uh, is comedy your love more than drama? Do, do you lean one way or another? Yeah. I mean, I've always been attracted to comedy for, for different reasons. And uh, one of the movies that was most um, kind of influential in my life is a, is a movie um, by Preston Sturgis called Sullivan's Travels. And it's about a, a director who just makes just makes comedies in quotes. And really, it feels like at the end of the day, like cr between the critics and just people just think he's a hack and, and they don't really think that he's doing anything, anything of worth. And he goes on this journey to try to make his um, his opus, which ironically is called Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, which is another movie that I actually worked on with the Coen brothers. But in this movie, in, thank you. In this movie, he wants to win awards and he wants to kind of show the. The, the horrible human experience that's going on in, 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 during the Depression, the time the movie was made. And he ends up um, actually on a chain gang through a series of circumstances. And he's in a, he's in a theater, and, and they put on a, a Three Stooges reel. And he just sees all these guys who are you know, imprisoned and in, in, in shackles just laughing and for a moment just forgetting their, their troubles. And, and, and that really hit me of like, well, that's a great thing to give somebody. If I can... If I can give somebody just a moment of peace and a moment of happiness after a shitty day or a great day and they want to celebrate, then then that's what I'm paid to do. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Carson used to say something similar to that. Johnny Carson, you know, that, that everybody made his, his show almost too heavy. And all he had to do was make people smile at the end of the day and put them in good spirits before they went to bed. And he felt that was the as deep as the show was. And, you know, I used to think it was much deeper than that. You said something incredible to a, a great question and reading an interview about you earlier today. You know, when, when uh, um, I watch movies like all of us, not every movie is deep. Not every movie is meaningful. Not every movie is life-forming. I mean, Dumb and Dumber is not going to change the world. It's just fun, right? And some movies are just fun. And somebody said to you in an interview, why do you make such lousy movies? <laughs> and your answer was, and if you don't mind, I want to read it, Todd, because it was just such a powerful answer. Look, I have aspirations, just like anyone, to work with talented filmmakers, but in the absence of that, and if that's not immediately available to me, I'm going to entertain people. That's a really powerful thing, and that's what we all need to learn about. As long as we do the work and feel good about the work, not everything has to be a masterpiece in life. Well, I'll tell you, there's nothing more rewarding and more fun than being in a theater of 500 people when they're all laughing at something you've created. And uh, yes. Even if it's silly and insignificant in life, what a powerful moment that is of pleasure for everyone. And yeah, and we um, and, you know, we are very involved in uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, there's been a lot of kids that have just done nothing but watched and loved Paul Blart with their dads. And it's just such a really rewarding experience to see some kid quote, you know, this silly movie back to us and their dad nodding going, this is something my son and I can do together. Yeah. And uh, that's just, that's just really makes it all worthwhile. I think so too. And, you know, I think that, 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 that movie in particular was a great movie because you see how this poor guy can be successful. Yeah. And in spite of all the disadvantages and his lack of assertion and not the brightest bulb in the box, he still could achieve greatness. 
that's a powerful story to be told. <laughs> Thanks. And, 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 you know, whether it's done in a lighthearted kind of way or, or in a deep, dramatic film, the story is the same, isn't it? Yeah. You know, th- this lightweight guy who's put in a heavyweight situation and rises to the occasion. Yeah. And, and wins the girl at the end and the acclaim at the end. That could be a war film. Sure. That could be a romantic film or that could be a very lighthearted comedy like Paul Blart was. You just described the plot of Rocky. I guess I, <laughs> I, guess I did. But that's what's unbelievable about storytelling. And you know, I wasn't going to tell people this on my podcast, but I'm going to. I was sitting, I'm, I'm shooting my new show now, which is all about relationship rescue. And we didn't even go to pilot. We just shot our first three episodes down in Puerto Rico the past three weeks. And, you know, we're shooting a show that we know nothing about. So we're sort of feeling it out as we go. And as we're sitting there, we were talking about bar rescue and realizing there's really only two stories in all the bar rescues. Story one, bad owner, great employees. Story two, uh, uh, great owner, bad employees. It's almost that's that simplicity turns yeah. into those two hundreds of other stories. When you think about it, we tell the same story again and again in different ways, don't we? Yeah, for sure. There are only you know the, you even think about genres. I mean, if you're doing a comedy, you could also just take that exact story and lay it on a horror movie. And instead of laughs, you have jump scares. Right. Wow. So you've done so much. You're still young. You know, you, you've man, some of the films you've made and the people you've worked with, you know, the companies, I mean, you, you were co-president of production at Disney for Christ's sakes. <laughs> when you take a look at revolution studios, where do you go now to excite yourself? Is the next movie as exciting as the last uh, yeah, I'll tell you, the next one's always the most exciting. I'm such an optimist that I always think the next one is going to be my, my best one. And, and you have little moments of complete and utter joy. Like I have made, as you said, you know, over uh, about 150 movies as an executive or as a producer. And just two weeks ago, I have an 11 year old daughter. And just two weeks ago, we got uh, John Cena attached to this family film that we're going to start in February. And she's never been more excited to meet anybody in her life. And that just Aww. like just gives me a new renewal to you know keep going. Like it's just those kind of things just really make it worthwhile because you know as you know, it's tough to get eyeballs. It's tough to monetize this stuff. So if we don't celebrate the little things on the way, then you're not going to have a really really good life at the end of the day. And so for me. Being on set with these people and, you know, I made Tag, a movie that had nine incredible comedians in it. And we just had the best summer of all time. We had three months of just making each other laugh. And the movie, thank God, was really good and turned out well, uh, you know, for in the business sense. But, man, the, that three or four months of being on set, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder... Uh, and I'm going to let you go soon, buddy. I wonder, you know, you started on set feeling the productions and then you moved to network executive. And I'm really close to, to, to my network executives. I've been on the same network for 10 years. So they're all good buddies of mine. And we talked very openly. It's really hard to manage that production from a distance. Do you find it's more challenging when as a network executive working from a distance on the set? Or did you find it more challenging being on the set? Well, I can't not. Oh, yeah. Well, so I've done both, right? I, yep. I was, uh, as you said, I was co-president of yep. production of Disney and I was the president of production at Revolution Studios. And I love that job. I mean, I love managing a lot of people and I loved, you know, being having my hand in stories. But I could see from, you know, the, I worked with some great 
producers. I've worked with Jerry Bruckheimer. I've worked with um, Adam Sandler. I've worked, you know, I've worked with some, you know, really stellar guys. And and I just would see, you know, that being on the set every day is where everything happens. That's where every de- real decisions made. And for me, being there with the crew and living in the same hotel with the crew and just being on set every day to be able to make little adjustments. Like I, I just talked to Kevin James on my podcast a couple of days ago, and we were remarking about Paul Blart. That short slide that he does where he and then kind of scoots over was something he and I came up with just the night before. I said, you know what? You know, you always see these heroes sliding and making the slide. What if this moron can't make it? And we just came up with that on the fly and it was in every trailer. Like if you're not there on the ground every day, eating the same food as the crew and being there and seeing it all happen, you can't make those little adjustments. So I love being on set. Yeah. You know, for me, I don't get a chance to work with somebody like him. It all comes from me at that moment. So it's got to be incredibly stimulating to be able to work with the people you work to. You know, it's funny. One of my dreams is to do something scripted one day just to be able to work around the creative leadership of someone else rather than myself for a change. And that'd be something that's really exciting to me. I'm guessing taking your ideas and translating them through other people can be both frustrating as well as gratifying. Oh, for sure. I mean, (laughs) believe me, the disappointment is uh, hourly in this business. And so... Uh, it's it's really a miracle to make any movie uh, good, let alone successful, because it, there's just so many moving parts. And, you know, you're dealing with hundreds of people in a crew and cast. You're dealing with weather. You're dealing with, you know, you know, release dates. You're dealing with so many different variables where things can go wrong. So when you when you and by the way, I think sometimes even in those quote unquote failures, those can be almost as rewarding, if not more, because you've been through the trenches with these people and you've learned valuable lessons along the way that hopefully you never repeat again. Yeah. For me, you know, it's when we do bad casting uh, uh, and we have flat characters or whatever, and we still have to build an episode out of it. I'm guessing when you miscast, those are your biggest challenges as well. Now you're pushing an actor to deliver something that inherently they're not so good at. And sometimes I'm guessing you don't find that out till they're on set. hundred percent. More often than not, unfortunately, um, and you know, and it, and it can be like people can be great in certain things that they connect to and not great. And it's not any testament to their talent. It's just maybe they're not connecting to that material or maybe they're outside of their comfort zone or maybe they're having a bad week or, or something's happened to them. So, yeah, I mean, you I've worked with uh, people that surprised me on both sides. And uh, you, you, just like you said, you you the thing is, again, going back to the thing about being there every day. You have to help them because they're the ones like you're look, I admire you. You're out there, man. You're 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 on you're you're it's you on that screen. It's not me. I'm behind the, the camera. I feel for the people that are out there putting their, you know, literally their butts on the line uh, and showing their talent. So my job is to really do everything I can to support that support them in the writing, in the in the physical production, making sure they're comfortable, making sure they have maybe being a sounding board to say, hey, why isn't this working? You're feeling right. And then in the editing to make sure that they're just not out there with their butts hanging out. Yeah, I hear you. What do you do for fun, Todd? Well, I have uh, I have two great kids uh, and uh, a 17 year old son and an, uh, an 11 year old uh, daughter, and they they keep me pretty busy. I bet and uh, <laughs> and so my son played football up until recently in, in high school. He's now going to college, and that that that's been a great joy to watch him uh, grow and and you know find his own his own self and in that teamwork. My daughter 
is incredibly funny and wants to do sketch comedy. So she, she makes me laugh all the time. And, uh, and, you know, and, and since I don't have that much time, spending time with family and friends is really kind of all we have at the end. Me too, me too buddy. Our, 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 you know, this business is so invasive, as I call it. It sort of hits us 24 hours a day. You know, Todd, you're a great guy. And your podcast, The Producer's Guide, to me was really special. That's why I wanted to have you on. You launched this podcast to help people, communicate with people, try to make a difference, even learn from people. You had no monetary objective with this. This was all about interacting and engaging with people. Yeah, I mean, I feel like right now there's so much negativity in our business. Obviously, you know, a lot of it is well-deserved people have acted terribly for years and producers really have a, a really crappy name right now i feel like the uh the, the the media in general is just saying how horrible our business is and how you can't make any money now and it's all been ceded to to marvel and i just and and, and that coupled with the fact that i just really wanted to, i wanted to give people hope i wanted to kind of say to people no I, we need your original stories. We need your voices. We need the d- diversity. We need people to come and, and share their authentic experiences with the audience because who knows where the next Quiet Place or Get Out is going to come from. We, we need people to give us original stories. And so I wanted to give people hope and, and give people a positive side that it's not all negative. And then lastly, just to answer the question, like, what does a producer do? Because you see sometimes on movies, there's 50 producer credits. And so for me... I've just really been um, annoyed by that. I really wanted to say, you know, this is what producers do and this this is how it works. Yeah, unfortunately in our business, some guy puts a little piece of a deal together, gets producers credit too quickly. And uh, in some cases, they've never even been on set. And I know that's what what you're talking about. It's a little frustrating sometimes. And they're not filmmakers at all. Todd, this has been a great pleasure, my friend. I'd love to grab a sandwich together one day. Yeah, for sure. And don't think I'm not going to hold you to that scripted thing. I'm going to come after you, my friend. Oh, I'd love to. That would be <laughs> You know, I would love to work in somebody else's creative environment other than my own. That would really be fun for me. So, so I hope that comes to pass. And what are your next projects? Anything that you're working on now that you want to share with us? Yeah, I mean, the next thing we have coming out is Isn't It Romantic? Uh, it's a Rebel Wilson romantic comedy with Rebel Wilson, Priyanka Chopra, Liam Hemsworth, and Adam Devine. It comes out um, um, on Valentine's Day next year in 2019. And uh, that's our next release. And then uh, we're going to be filming some stuff in 2019. But that, that's not for a while yet. Uh, well, that's exciting. And, of course, everybody should check out the Producer's Guide uh, on Podcast One, on this podcast network. I've been listening to the past few. They're fantastic. Well, thank if you. anybody has any interest in anything creative, whether it's filmmaking, even writing, uh, uh, it's it's a great, great listen. And my guess is if you listen to one, you listen to it every week. Well, anyone who listens to this podcast knows how I love my own my pillows and christmas is right around the corner and you don't know what to get that special person in your life i'm here to help why not give them a gift that keeps on giving the gift of a good night's rest give them a my pillow and now for christmas my pillow is hooking you up with their christmas special it's the lowest price my pillow has 
ever offered on their four-pack, and it includes free shipping. It gets better, though. Their 60-day money-back guarantee has been extended through March 1st. It's the best price ever, free shipping, extended money-back guarantee. What else do you need? It's time to go for your MyPillow. So go to MyPillow.com, click on a Christmas special, and use my code TAFFER to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. Again, go to MyPillow.com, click on a Christmas special, and enter my promo code Taffer, you will be glad you did. I do want to take a second to thank all my sponsors. You know, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today. So they're the ones who provide us with the resources and the ability to uh, do this podcast every week. So I really do appreciate my sponsors and appreciate you engaging with them in some way. Well, this has been a crazy month for me. I just finished my first three episodes of my new show, and I can't tell you the name of it, but here's the good news, Corey. They're announcing it second week of January. So there will be press releases and public announcements second week in January. I'm pretty excited. It's my new show on the Paramount Network, and I'm told the show was created for me, and we didn't even do a pilot. We went right to production on the first three shows. So I wasn't quite sure what I was getting myself into, Corey, but you know I called you from down there, buddy. It went really well. Yeah, it it, seems like it's going good. It's a great freaking show, so I'm really, really excited about it. It premieres in April, but watch uh, my feeds and the media uh, second week in January. We will make a... uh, uh, official public statement, naming the show and telling everybody when it's going to premiere. Also this week, we just started pre-production for the next season of Bar Rescue. And we start shooting Bar Rescue end of February. So now we're looking for locations, and we know we're heading to Florida this year. We're heading to Colorado this year, and we're heading to Missouri this year. So any bars that are interested in participating in Bar Rescue, go to the Paramount Network website or send a note to us at johntaffer.com and uh, We'll try to cast you. But, Corey, I am particularly excited about this, buddy, because I've been working on this for two years. My brand-new cocktail mixer line, Taffer's Mixologist, launches in Walmart stores in March all across the country. And we have seven great flavors, margarita, strawberry margarita, light margarita, mojito, cosmopolitan, pina colada, and Bloody Mary. I developed these with Brian Van Flandern, who's one of the greatest mixologists in America, and I believe these are some of the greatest mixers in the country. So I am really excited that they come out in Walmart stores in March. I've never had anything like this in a Walmart store before. Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty new to you. It is. It's really exciting to be able to do something like this and bring a product I've worked so hard on. It took us two years to develop the products with all cold-pressed and really high-quality juices uh, and recipes, so I'm really excited about it. Next, we are now rolling out a brand-new food and beverage concept called John Taffer's Pro Cafe all across America, and we're doing it in, and I can't say the name of the store yet because that comes out in a press release next month as well, but it's in America's largest hardware retailer. So you can guess who that is. But if you think who sells more hardware than anyone in America, those stores are going to have Taffer Pro Cafes in them uh, starting in March. And we're rolling it out all across the country. So I'm really, really proud of that. you got a lot going on, John. I do. But here's my favorite of them all. Yeah, the Walmart thing is cool. And Bar Rescue is cool. And it, it, the new TV show is cool. And, and the Pro Cafe is cool. But this is the coolest of all because we live in Vegas, buddy. Oh, yeah. And we love this city. The first ever Taffer Bar will open on the Las Vegas Strip. 
end of March, early April, and I'm pretty proud of that. So uh, uh, sure busy. A lot of people are looking forward to that as well. Busy times here, so we're working on the concept elements now, all the signature cocktail elements, and I'm doing something really cool, and I'm going to tell you. I can't tell you too much, Corey, but I can tell you this. It'll be the first concept of its type ever on the Las Vegas Strip, really? so I'm pretty excited about that. And then last but not least, you know what we're doing for next week's podcast? What's that? I'm pretty excited about this. The first ever Taffer's Greatest. So we've taken all of our podcasts. We've assembled the greatest of our interviews, comments, diarrhea of the mouth, if you will. And we put it into a special podcast that we're uh, sending out next week for Christmas. And it's my first ever best of. So I'm pretty excited to hear how good my best of can actually be. Yeah. I'm hoping it's pretty darn good. Well, I better get started on that. You better, buddy. And you better pick good shit. Or, 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 or... <laughs> all right, I will. So you don't pick the bad stuff. Pick the good stuff. So... In a minute, we'll be back with my favorite part of the show, which is... The call-ins. Audience call-ins. We'll be back in a minute. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. After another week of the NFL and NCAA football, there's still time to take your pigskin knowledge to the bank with BetDSI.com. BetDSI is celebrating 20 years online and has built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment to your winnings. And to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, BetDSI is offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right. You deposit and start winning now, and you get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money right from the get-go. When it comes to football, BetDSI has every wage you could ever want or imagine. If it's happening, BetDSI will put a line on it. You can bet on the NFL, NCAA football, MLB, NBA, UFC, eSports, and other global sports. You can even bet on politics, celebrities, and reality shows for that matter. You can also bet on games while they're playing with BetDSI's live betting. So join BetDSI today using the promo code TAFFER101, and you've already won by doubling your bankroll straight away. That's promo code TAFFER101 to get in the action and get paid. And once you become a member and you have all that sweet bonus money, join the BetDSI 2018 Handicappers Cup. That's really cool. Make sure you go to BetDSI.com, promo code TAFFER101. Shut it down! All right, John, let's get into these audience call-ins. We have Andrea from Michigan, who's having some problems with some state investors. Hi, Andrea. Hi, how are you? Good, John here. Nice to talk with you. Thanks for taking my question. My pleasure. You're in uh, Michigan? Yes, I am in Detroit. Are you freezing your butt off right now? Not yet, no. (laughs) Not yet. Well, that's good to hear. So what do you want to talk about today? So when an employer owes you money and they won't cooperate with state investigators, what would you do? Oh, boy, that's a difficult situation. So you, you worked for somebody who didn't pay you. You then went to the labor board? Right. And, and the labor board, uh, uh, what do you mean by not cooperating? Explain what you mean. But they, um, they keep trying to reach out to them to contact them, but every time I give them an address to send information to, they send it back saying there's nobody at this address. Wow. So what happens at the, some point? Does the state go and visit them, did you ask? The state's been trying to contact them since September, and they haven't been able to get in touch with them, and it's a secured facility, so they can't get in. Wow. So I don't know how they're going to visit the facility unless they have, like, a subpoena or something. 
Yeah, that's a very, very unique situation. I've never heard of anything like that ever before. You know, I'll tell you what's pretty powerful. Social media can be pretty powerful. Have you posted anything about it? Not yet. Um, I try to stay away from Facebook because I know employers can look into stuff that you post on there. And I don't want other, employers I don't want new employers it. to see me yeah. dogging out an old employer. Yeah. How much is this? Is this a lot of money that you owed? It's about 4K. Oh, that's a lot of money. So have you yeah. gone to the state and told them that this business is still in business, but they're not, they're purposefully uh, committing fraud by saying that person isn't here? When I looked into the company, it seems like every time they run into trouble, they change the name of the company. Wow. So, so they restart under another name. So it's Something shady is going on. I just can't figure out where. Do you have a news station in town who's an investigative reporter that grabs stories like this? Because I bet there's a news station that might be interested in this story. I talked to four of them, and they said it's not their problem. They're not interested in something like this. Wow. You might actually be screwed. If the state doesn't get a response from him and the state doesn't do anything about it, all you could do is file a lawsuit for $4,000 and serve them. So do you have any paperwork proving that you're owed the $4,000? I do. I would go to an attorney. If you go to an attorney, they'll take a third of it, but they'll sue him for the money. And I wonder if, you, if you're eligible for damages or penalties or anything in excess to your $4,000. But if you have proof, an attorney will take this case. And an attorney can serve them with papers that they have to accept. I think that's your only move. But I think that's the only move you've got is now you have to take it into your own hands. And it's really a shame that the state a labor board who's supposed to be protecting you in this regard does nothing but send letters and accepts that. And thank God you have another job. But could you imagine if you were starving and you needed that $4,000? Uh, the state would have really let you down. I don't have a job. You don't? Oh, that's awful. I would go to a lawyer yeah. as soon as possible. I would. Okay. And good luck with this, and, and I hope you ha can have a Merry Christmas in spite of all of this. You too. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. I really think you're going to like this one, John. We have a guy named Michael from South Florida. He's a realtor, and he's looking to break into the bar business. He wants to know if you have any advice for him. Ooh. How you doing, Michael? Hey, John. Really appreciate uh, you taking the call and being on the show. I love I love Bar Rescue. Watch it every single week. Haven't missed an episode Definitely love catching up on Sunday. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So you're thinking of getting out of the real estate business and getting in the bar business. Mike, are you, have you had your head examined lately? <laughs> I just, you know, I've been, I've been in this real estate thing for so many years. And, you know, a couple of my uh, friends, you know, in the area, they, you know, we, we go out all the time. And it just, it's just such an exciting business. I mean, and I, I just love watching the show. Uh, I, I write down all of these notes and tips and tricks that you have, and I got some money stacked away. I've been, you know, doing really well over the years, and I, I, I'm ready to make the step. I just want to make sure uh, I, I do the right things. And, like, what am I looking for? Like, what do I have to do in order to get these licenses and, and open a place? Like, what am I getting into? Well, first of all, you got to start with a liquor license, right? And a liquor license you want to make sure is available. And some municipalities okay. don't issue new liquor licenses, so you have to buy an existing license, and there's so many. So a liquor license can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in some locations. In other locations, a liquor license is simply a filing because they keep issuing new ones, so you can get it from 800 to $5,000. So you want to find out what the legalities are for liquor licenses in your area. Do you buy them from the state okay. or do you have to buy them privately? 
The next thing you really want to examine, and this is deep for a minute, Mike, why do you want to go into the bar business? What is your motive? Because you said to me it's fun and you like hanging out in them. And I'm going to tell you, buddy, that's exactly why you shouldn't go in the bar business. Because you don't want to hang out. And yeah. Drink. Yeah, you don't. Do you want to hang out and drink your profits away? No, but I mean, it just seems like such a great business to own. If you run it the right way and, and you, you know, you do things correctly. I mean, it, it just it seems like such a, uh, an exciting uh, uh, avenue to, to, to go into. I mean, again, have friends in the business and. Just it, it seems like such an exciting thing and something that I can basically transition out and you know be successful at. I think that I would do very well. So I'll say it to you straight out: if you're getting in the business because you like drinking, don't do it, buddy. If you're getting in the business because you like hanging out, don't do it, buddy. But if you're getting in the business because you want to be in the business and the business yeah. excites you, then jump in all the way. So which of those three motivates you: drinking, social, or the business? I mean, the business definitely. I mean, this is, uh, I, I put away this money and I really want to, uh, I want to launch something that's, that's really uh, engaging and exciting for, you know, my friends and, and people in the area to go to. But, you know, I want it to be profitable. Sure. Um, I, you know, I know a little bit about the business again, have some friends, but, you know, I mean, it, it's, it just seems like, you know, the right avenue to go now. People are, are doing so well in the business, and they I are. think I could do pretty good. It's a great time to enter the bar business. Have you been successful in the real estate business, Mike? It done really well. I mean, I, I flipped houses for, you know, a couple of years ago and did very, very well. And then, you know, some things kind of changed. So I got into, um, you know, kind of like property management for a while. Let me tell you why I ask. You know, you know real estate is a business you've got to have a lot of discipline. Right, you got to get up every day, find yeah. your listings, find your leads. You got to work it. You got to work days. You got to work nights, and it's a business of a lot of personal, uh, uh, self motivation. The bar business mm-hmm. is the same thing, Mike. It requires discipline, working in days, working in nights, and you sell people houses that make them happy. The bar business is the same thing, buddy. All we're doing is making people happy. So if you want to open a bar. For unselfish reasons, meaning you want to make people happy and have a great bar that's well-operated and you're going to draw your pride from how well-operated it is, I'm going to guess mm-hmm. that you probably are perfect for this. But don't get into business because you like to drink or like to hang out because that's how people fail. Get into business because you love the business and then hang out and drink a little bit. But focus on the business first. Make sense? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Great. Give us a call in a few weeks. Let us know how you're doing, okay? All right. Appreciate it, John. Thanks again. Take care, buddy. All right. Last but not least, we have Todd, and he's seeking some advice on a new lease for his business. A new lease. Hey, Todd. How you doing? I'm doing well, John. How are you? Good. You're, you're looking at getting into a new lease for your business? Yeah. I have a, a, a business that I have. I've been shopping around and looking at different places, and I'm just uh, don't know what to, I need to be asking for uh, to the different landlords. Ah, you know, it's a great question. I'm glad you called because a lot of people don't know this information and they make mistakes when they start a business. You know, a lease really has five elements to it. One, what is the base mm-hmm. rent? You're going to pay a certain amount per foot. Two, okay. what, what is the percentage rent? In many cases, in a lease, you pay a base rent of X amount per foot and you pay a percentage of revenue on top of that base rent. So those are two things you need to know about. The third element is CAM costs. And CAM, Todd, stands for Common Area Maintenance. And what will happen is if it costs $1,000 to mow the lawn, each tenant pays their pro rata share 
of that $1,000 to mow the lawn. So if you have 20% of the space on the property, you're going to pay 20% of the cost of mowing that lawn. Make sense? If you have 50% of the property, then you pay 50% of the price for mowing that lawn. So that's the uh, other element. And then the last big element, and this can be a big one, is real estate taxes. So those are the five areas where you're going to write checks to the landlord. You're going to write a check for base rent, bonus percentage rent, cam costs, and real estate costs. Those four elements are going to be the the, uh, basis of your lease. The other things you want to think about is renewal options. Now, sometimes a lease will go up 3 4 5% a year each year, and then it'll have a renewal on a fifth or sixth year. Here's what you want to do. You want to attach your rent or your lease increases to something called CPI, which is Consumer Price Index. It's an official number that comes out every year. If the Consumer Price Index went up 3% this year, then your rent should only go up 3%, not 5 or 10%. And that's a way that you can protect the increases in your lease and keep them consistent with CPI, Consumer Price Index numbers. So I just want to review really quickly for you, Todd. You want to negotiate a great base rent. You want to negotiate as little a percentage as possible. You want to make sure that your CAM, your common area maintenance, isn't based on leased space. It's based on leasable space, meaning... If you have 20% of the property and you have to pay 20% of the CAM charges, that's fine. But if 50% of the property is vacant, you don't want to pay more. That's why it's important that you pay CAM based on leasable square footage, not leased square footage. Make sense? Makes sense, yes. And then the last one is your real estate taxes. They should tell you what those are in advance. Now, once you add all those things together, what your rent is going to be per foot, what your real estate taxes are, what your cam charges are, and what your percentage rent is, you will now know what it costs you per foot or per month to rent that space. You with me, Todd? Yep, I'm following. In almost every business, you have to achieve 10 times what your the total rent will be for that space. So when you take your rent, your percentage rent, and your CAM and your real estate taxes, and you add them all together, you have to do 10 times that in revenue to make your numbers work. So don't lease a space that you're not certain. You can do 10 times the cost of your rent in revenue. Was this helpful? Well, that's, that's very helpful. Uh, I'll, I'll be using this for sure. Great. Well, there you go. The trick is, buddy, don't sign a lease that you're going to regret. And make sure you sign a lease with a reasonable landlord. Landlords can do things yeah. like remodel and put you out of business, uh, uh, not maintain the property correctly, et cetera. Find a good landlord and a good lease, and you're off to a great start. Take care, buddy. Well, as we wind up this podcast, next week we're going to have a special Taffer's Greatest Podcast Moments, <laughs> which I'm really looking forward to hearing because I've had a lot of fun doing this the past few months. But, you know, let's think about what Tard Garner said tonight. He said something really powerful. It didn't take talent to write a great script. It takes skill, and skill comes from effort. It didn't take talent to be a producer. It takes skill, and skill comes from effort. Don't ever blame your own shortcomings on talent because the fact is you can develop the skills if you want to. That's really the lesson that I learned from Todd is that all of us can do what it is we choose to do if we work hard enough at it. Once you're good at it and you're an expert, then the money flows. Don't you agree, Corey? When you're the best at something, buddy, you can't help but oh. make money. And that's what Todd did. So 
you should become the best at something. Determine what that is. You know, as we wind down this year, New Year's is coming. New Year's resolutions statistically make a difference. If you sit down, think about what you really want to accomplish next year in your business life, in your professional life, in your relationships, really come up with some goals for yourself. You notice I didn't say dreams. I said goals because goals happen. Dreams rarely do. Really set yourself up for a great year and know that next year, if your skills are better and you're better at what you do, you're going to be much better at what you get. So I'd love to hear from you. My favorite part of this podcast is your phone calls. So please send me an email at podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. And we'll get you on a show and you and I will have a great talk. Also, I'd love it if you'd participate in my favorite part of the show. So please send me an email at podcast at johntaffer.com. Podcast at johntaffer.com. Tell us what you want to talk about and we'll get you on the No Excuses podcast. Have a great Christmas, everybody, and I'll talk to you after the holiday. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 